Peace be upon you. In the 1990s, researchers were trying to figure out a mystery as what was going on in Yellowstone National Park in Wyoming. And what they couldn't figure out was why was the park environment in a decline such that the uh, number of trees were dwindling. A lot of the populations of birds and beavers that used to thrive throughout the park um, were almost non-existent. And it didn't make sense because you know, it's a protected park. It's not like anyone's hunting or loggers are there cutting down trees. And they couldn't figure out what the, uh, the root cause was. The first theory was that, hey, maybe it had to do with global warming. And the, the irony with that was that inside the park, there's a particular tree that should have been thriving called the aspen tree. And uh, in the park, these were in a uh, major decline. No new trees were being formed. And just outside of the park, they seemed to be doing fine. So they started digging a little deeper and they said, hey, maybe it had to do with the reduction in forest fires. Because, you know, with human intervention, if there is a possibility of a natural fire, uh, humans come and put it out. And fires are actually what's needed for the aspen tree to thrive. Because when a, a fire comes, it, it burns up a lot of the, uh, the brush and uh, it uh, takes away some of the weaker trees and it makes room for new trees to grow. And in 1988 in Yellowstone, there was a major fire, but still no new trees. So they, were, uh, they decided to do core samples of these trees, these aspen trees. And they took 100 different core samples from 100 different trees. And what they found out was quite interesting. There were no middle-aged trees. All the trees that were in, uh, uh, available at that time were all about 70 years old. Meaning that there was an event that took place around the 1930s that could have dictated, you know, this change that was the, the root cause of all this change that they were seeing in Yellowstone. And the researchers had a theory, and it wasn't very popular. Uh, that theory was that there was a specific event that took place in the 1930s that they can tie this to. And that event was that the last wild wolf was killed in Wyoming. In the 1800s, wolves used to run wild throughout all of Wyoming and Montana. And uh, between 1883 and 1917, uh, as settlers started moving into the area, they killed over 100,000 wolves to the point that in 1930, they eliminated the last wolf in that region. Now, researchers believe that this, this ecological shift of uh, the elimination of this, this predator within the environment was the root cause of all this change. And the public had a tough time uh, accepting this. They were, you know, when the researchers proposed that, hey, maybe we should reintroduce wolves to Yellowstone, uh, there was a huge backlash. A lot of protesters were saying, you know, why would you allow these carnivorous wild animals, you know, into the park? It's dangerous. Uh, they're going to kill off the livestock. Uh, this is, you know, uh, ludicrous. And uh, despite all this, in 1995, researchers were uh, uh, allowed to bring in 31 gray wolves from Canada to Yellowstone. And they let the wolves free within Yellowstone to go roam and, you know, do what wolves do. And the first thing that the wolves did is they started forming packs. And these packs went to go and hunt for food because, obviously, you know, wolves need food and uh, where else to get them but from the deer. And this was kind of expected, you know, that the wolves are going to need to eat and they're going to hunt the deer. And deer were in just in wide, wide a uh, huge population in Yellowstone because there were no predators against them for the longest time. And the wolves came in and they started uh, eating the deer. And what was interesting was that 
when they you know attacked and killed and ate a deer, they obviously didn't consume the entire deer. The carcass was left there. And that carcass ended up providing a food source for other animals. Uh, animals like the bald eagle, foxes, and ravens. And the number of these creatures started increasing. Um, something else really interesting uh, started to happen was that the, beer, the deer started changing their behavior. Uh, they started changing where they roam and the areas that they would, uh, they would uh, uh, go to graze. Uh, specifically because they knew that if they went into certain areas, like the gorges, um, they would be uh, vulnerable to, for attack. So they started avoiding those areas. And those areas ended up being uh, places in, uh, where rivers used to flow. Um, uh, there were gorges and uh, uh, areas where the rivers would go to, uh, the uh, deer would go to feed, and now they were uh, vacated. And it actually reduced the soil erosion in those areas, and it allowed the, uh, the soil banks uh, adjacent to the rivers to, to start flourishing. And this brought on, you know, new forms of vegetation, ones that were scarce before, like berries. And these berries, they attracted songbirds and grizzly bears, and those populations started uh, growing as well. And then, strangely enough, the aspen trees themselves, uh, in some areas, quintupled in size, because all of a sudden you had uh, much richer uh, soil, uh, less erosion, and it ended up being beneficial for them as well. And all these effects were taking place that, you know, the researchers, they could have never have imagined just how huge of an impact it was to allow these wolves into the environment. And what's crazy is that once the, uh, the, the deer stopped grazing in those gorges and uh, banks started forming and water started being able to be retained in those environments, uh, beavers started coming back. And, you know, beavers, they, they love the, uh, the nice tall trees because they're uh, geoengineers. Um, they would make uh, beaver nests. And these nests ended up becoming uh, hotbeds for uh, fish, otters, ducks, and muskrat, and uh, mice as well. And these ended up becoming additional food sources for some of the larger creatures, like ravens and bald eagles and bears again. And what ended up happening is in a span of about you know six years, the entire environment shifted, and it dramatically improved. And to the point that even the river started flowing again. Uh, places that have been, uh, you know, laid barren for, for decades, um, all of a sudden came back into existence. And all this, all this because they allowed wolves back into the environment. And how ironic that you would think that, you know, including this, this carnivorous uh, predator into the environment would have such a huge ecological effect on all of uh, Yellowstone. And it's one of these things that it's just, it's absolutely uh, mind-boggling and it just makes you think about the precision in our environment and how often you know we want to basically eliminate variables because we find them threatening or disturbing uh, when in actuality we have no clue about the greater impact uh, those elements have in our lives and this is all part of God's design in 5148 it reads and we made the earth habitable a perfect design who else other than God could figure out all this and just perfectly balance all these things uh, to make sure that this environment, uh, something is, you know, that seems as unrelated with the trees and the rivers uh, are actually related to the wolves within that ecosystem. 
1519 it reads, as for the earth, we constructed it and we placed on it stabilizers, mountains, and we grew in it a perfect balance of everything. God did all these calculations. Before the Big Bang, God calculated the provisions of every single creature, uh, every single ant, every single mosquito, every single wolf, every single deer, and it's perfectly calculated. And it creates a symbiotic relationship that, you know, until we actually see it in a, in a live experiment, we would have no clue. 67.3 and 4 it reads, He created seven universes in layers. You do not see any imperfection in the creation of the most gracious. Keep looking. Do you see any flaw? Look again and again. Your eyes will come back stumped and conquered. And in 13.8 it reads, God knows what every female bears and what every womb releases or gains. Everything he does is perfectly measured. And these are just signs for us to be appreciative of God, the ecosystem that God creates, the system that God creates, that God created a hierarchy in the animal kingdom where there's wolves and there's bears and there's muskrats and there's bald eagles, and all these live together, and surprisingly enough, they all benefit one another. Um, and sometimes we have a tendency of looking at things in isolation and not understanding the bigger picture. In 32.7 it reads, He is the one who perfected everything he created and started the creation of the human from clay. And an example of this is, imagine you wanted to bake cookies. And, you know, you want some rich, delicious chocolate chip cookies. And I give you the list of ingredients in that cookie to make those cookies and you look at some of those ingredients in isolation you say that sounds terrible you know why would I want to add salt to a cookie you know there's nothing sweet and delicious about salt um, and it seems completely contrary to the end product being a cookie and let's say you decide to eliminate the salt and then you look and you see there's also baking soda and you say "Ugh, that tastes terrible I'm, I'm gonna get rid of that ingredient as well and what happens if you actually try to bake a cookie without salt and without baking soda? I guarantee they're not going to be as nearly as good as if you added the, the, uh, the proper ingredients. That irrespective if you think that something in isolation seems unappealing, unappetizing, that that's not what uh, matters. What matters is what is the end product. And this came up in a Quran study recently when we were reading chapter 3 verse 186. Because in our lives... We're going to have wolves, right? We're going to have people in our lives who are going to uh, uh, harass us, insult us, mock us, ridicule us. And the question is why? What is the benefit of us having these individuals in society? You know, what good does it do someone? And why would God create such a system where this is the case? And if we trust in God, God is going to become and uh, make it apparent to us. And in 3186, it reads, the inevitable test. It says, you will certainly be tested through your money and your lives, and you will hear from those who receive the scripture and from the idol worshippers a lot of insult. If you steadfastly persevere and lead a righteous life, this will prove the strength of your faith. Now, if we already know that, hey, in order to make it into God's kingdom, we have to prove the strength of our faith, you know, what's the purpose of getting insulted? You know, by, by those who receive the scripture and idol worshippers. And God is saying that we're not only going to get insulted, there's going to be a lot of insult for our beliefs. So, clearly God is doing this for our good. 
And we have to trust in God. We have to trust in the system. Uh, one of the TV shows I love watching is uh, uh, it's with uh, Marcus Lemonis. It's called The Prophet, and that's spelled P-R-O-F-I-T, uh, so not to be mistaken of a uh, uh, prophet who brings a uh, message. And um, every time he goes, the, the premise of the show is that he goes to small businesses that are failing, and he instills basically a process to make them successful. And time and time again, you see that when people actually implement the process, all of a sudden the business starts doing much better. Uh, God's system is the exact same. If we trust in God and we implement His process, and we trust in His process, irrespective if it seems to make sense to us or not, we know that we're guaranteed uh, to be victorious. We're guaranteed perfect health, perfect wealth, and perfect happiness. And we see in the example of Noah that he was being insulted. Um, And in 11.38 and 39 it reads, He who laughs last laughs best. While he was building the ark, whenever some of his people passed by him, they laughed at him. He said, you may be laughing at us, but we are laughing at you just as you are laughing. You will surely find out who will suffer a shameful retribution and incur an everlasting punishment. And you think about this, how tough was it for Noah that people literally thought he was crazy? You know, he's uh, prophesizing a flood and he's building, you know, a boat that at that time people had no clue what it was. You know, he's building this contraption made of uh, logs and rope. And they were wondering, what is this guy doing? As if that's not tough enough, you know, he's getting mocked and insulted and laughed at. And um, God tells us kind of what to do in these situations. Uh, and it's in 6.125. It says, whomever God wills to guide, he renders his chest wide open to submission. And whomever he wills to send astray, He renders his chest intolerant and straightened, like one who climbs towards the sky. God thus places a curse upon those who refuse to believe. And there's an example in nature of eagles. When eagles are harassed by crows, as opposed to, you know, fighting the crows and going head on, and, you know, clearly the uh, the eagle um, is much stronger, uh, much larger, uh, has better maneuverability. But what the eagle does is very interesting. The eagle will climb to higher elevations where the crow cannot stand to be and the crows will leave them alone. And as submitters, we do the exact same thing. When someone is insulting us, someone is uh, mocking us, we elevate ourselves. We basically elevate ourselves spiritually to a place where these individuals cannot stand to be. And by default, they'll leave us alone. They'll stop uh, with their, uh, their insults and uh, they just they won't be able to stand our presence because they realize that this these these insults this harassment it doesn't affect them um, and I for one can definitely speak if you look at <laughs> the reviews on the uh, the podcast uh, more than fifty percent of them are absolutely just nasty and hateful but it doesn't phase me because as long as I'm doing God's system and I'm applying God's system to the best of my ability I have to trust in God and. What's awesome is recently they realized with a series of studies that there's something known as the backfire effect. And what happens when we're criticized or insulted for our belief is that the belief is actually, uh, the conviction of that belief is strengthened. So by merely insulting someone for their belief, you're actually reinforcing that belief. So when these individuals were laughing at Noah, that actually, that process 
was strengthening Noah's belief and his faith in God. And you see this time and time again when you see two people arguing and one of them comes, you know, uh, just just wailing on the other one uh, with all these, you know, verbal attacks that as opposed for the other party of saying, hey, maybe you have some point here or reassessing their belief, they become that much more convicted in their belief. Um, and God realizes this, this psychology and he actually applied it for uh, Moses to Pharaoh. Because in, when God told Moses to go approach Pharaoh, he said in chapter 20, verse 43 and 44, it says, Go to Pharaoh, for he has transgressed. Speak to him nicely, he may take heed or become reverent. God knew that Pharaoh had a huge ego, right? God knew that uh, Pharaoh wasn't going to change. But God wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt of seeing the errors of his way by having Moses speak to him in a nice manner that he might be able to reflect and uh, to change his ways. And this reminds me of a, uh, there was another uh, show that, I, uh, I don't know if it's still on, uh, it's by Morgan Spurlock, it's called 30 Days, it's on Netflix. And what the premise of the show was is that they would get people from different viewpoints to go in and experience life in the other person's viewpoint. And this episode that they showed was, uh, it was someone who is a Border Patrol uh, uh, officer who absolutely was against illegal immigration. And he was so adamant and so vocal about it. And the 30-day uh, the task was that he had to go live in a home with illegal immigrants in Los Angeles. And uh, he agreed, and he goes to live with them, and it's like a family of uh, five, and they all live in this, you know, one-bedroom, like, apartment. Um, and what's interesting is that when he first showed up, everyone, everyone that he engaged with was just verbally attacking him for being a bigot and a racist and uh, um, just, just going off at it. And you could see in his response and his emotion and his body language that he was that much more... Uh, convinced of his belief that illegal immigration is wrong and how dare these people. And what was interesting was the only individuals who didn't attack him were the parents of the, uh, the, the family. And the task one day was that he had to go and work with the father and with the mother. And they didn't speak very good English. And uh, they, they basically brought him along. And the first day he goes with the father and the uh, father serves, uh, basically he assists plumbers to do the dirty work that they don't want to do. So let's say they go to a home and there's a burst pipe underneath the home and they need someone to crawl underneath all the sludge and mud and just, you know, filth uh, to go and repatch uh, that pipe. And that's what he would do and he would get paid, I think it was like 4 or $5 an hour to do this task. And he never, the, the father never argued with the, uh, the Border Patrol officer, never complained about his viewpoints or tried to convince him of anything. He merely just showed him what he does. And you could tell the emotional impact this had of seeing an individual leaving his country to come into this environment, to take on such work to provide for his family. And it was inevitable that this had a much larger emotional impact than verbal attacks and insults. And then the next day, he went to go see what the mother does for work. 
and no one would hire the mother because you know she wasn't uh, she wasn't didn't have the ability of doing like kind of this this heavy labor. So what she would do is she'd go around and collect bottles and cans from uh, from uh, trash cans, and she would collect them, and she would go to the recycler and she would recycle them and get you know some uh, some money that way, and she would store that money in a uh, stuffed animal. And she would just try to save enough to basically provide for her children, for some toys, books, you know, things for their benefit. And at this point, again, the mother never argued with him, never gave him a hard time uh, for his viewpoints, and just showed him what it is that she does. And then the next day, they decided, they said, hey, we want to show you why we came to the United States. And they put him on a car. They drive him over the border, and they arrange that he meets uh, the uh, the family's uncle, so the uh, the father's brother, um, in the village that they used to live. And he goes there, and literally, it's it's three walls. And what happened was that the the well, their source of water, their only source of water, uh, became contaminated. And they had one of two choices: they could have stayed there and for certain died. Or they could have basically left to come to the United States and uh, try to make a, uh, a life for their children at their own sacrifice. And when he saw that, he broke down. And he changed the way he viewed things. And he was in complete, uh, just kind of like admiration and uh, confusion at the same time. But you realize that the way to get to an individual isn't through insult. It isn't through uh, mocking and ridiculing and the way that you get to an individual is through compassion and reason and example. And we see this in time and time again, that the people who are the ones who criticize, the ones who insult, aren't the believers. The believers are compassionate. They speak nicely. God actually says that this is a trait of the submitters, is that when the ignorant speak to them, they only utter peace. And I'm going to pull up this verse really quick, inshallah. It says, who can utter better words than the submitters? Let's see, It says, in 41.33, it reads, Who can utter better words than one who invites to God, works righteousness, and says, I am one of the submitters? Not equal is the good response and the bad response. You shall resort to the nicest possible response. Thus, the one who used to be your enemy may become your best friend. None can attain this except those who steadfastly persevere. None can attain this except those who are extremely fortunate. And what's awesome is the following verse. God realizes how tough this is at times, that when someone comes to you with a contrary viewpoint, insulting you, mocking you, that how tough it is to respond with the best possible response. And uh, God tells us under these circumstances to seek refuge in God. Because he knows that the devil is going to come and whisper to you and try to get under your skin and try to get a uh, reaction out of you that isn't going to correspond with what God wants to see. So God created a system. And that system is that when we are mocked and insulted, that we elevate ourselves. We elevate ourselves spiritually to a point where they cannot stand to be with us. And what's interesting is their mocking and insulting is only going to strengthen our faith. And then in addition, that when we have to respond back, 
we respond back with the best possible response that God willing we can change the minds of the people. And God tells us that this is the trait of the righteous. In 2.177 it says righteousness defined. It says righteousness is not turning your faces towards the east or the west. Righteous are those who believe in God the last day, the angels, the scripture, and the prophets, and they give the money cheerfully to the relatives, the orphans, and the needy, the traveling alien, the beggars, and to free the slaves. And they observe the contact prayer salat and give the obligatory charity zakat. And they keep their word whenever they make a promise. And they steadfastly persevere in the face of persecution, hardship, and war. These are the truthful. These are the righteous. And this is exactly what we need to strive to. When God allows wolves in our lives, when God allows wolves in the environment, we have to trust in God that this is for the good of us as believers, as individuals, and irrespective, if it seems threatening, if it seems like it's out there for our harm, we have to trust in God's system. And I'm going to end on uh, a story, it's a fable, about a man and a donkey. And uh, the man was walking through a valley with his donkey. And underneath the brush, unbeknownst to him, was a well. And the donkey just plunges into the well. 30, 40, 50 feet. And the man is in disarray as far as what he can do to help his donkey. And the donkey is wailing and crying and uh, trying to climb his way out. And there's nothing he can do. And the man just gives up. And he says, you know what? I, I can't just leave my donkey here. Uh, I'm just going to bury him alive and uh, put him out of his misery. So he grabs a uh, shovel grabs a pile of dirt and throws it on top of the donkey. And when the donkey realizes what's going on, his first reaction is to freak out. He's going to die. It's over. And uh, his instinct, his uh, bodily instinct, is to shake off the dirt. And when he does that, he realizes with each clump of dirt that's thrown on him, he's able to take one step up and then another step up. And eventually the people of the community see this and they start helping out. And they're all in mass throwing dirt on this donkey and as the donkey gets dirt he keeps taking taking steps up until eventually he comes out of the well now in life we all have you know dirt thrown on us things that happen to us things that seem unjust and unfair and we have to realize that god is doing this for our own good and in the words of taylor swift if we just shake it off and god willing take a step up We'll see God's plan and we'll see God's victory. God willing, we're going to end there. If you guys got any uh, comments or questions, hit us up at QuranTalk at gmail.com. We also got the uh, the website where we publish weekly Quran study notes at QuranStudy19.com. And uh, we also have a second podcast where we're uh, reciting the uh, or reading the audio versions of the Submitter's Perspective. These have been in circulation for over 30 years. Uh, it's a monthly newsletter published by Master Tucson with awesome articles, words of wisdom, and highly recommend to check that out as well. And it, until next time, peace and God bless.